Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete provider at clinicalathlete.com. We also have a forum where we discuss and share, where we discuss, share ideas and resources related to sports med, rehab, and performance. Forgot words. To join the forum or for a potential listing on the Clinical Athlete Directory and for all upcoming seminars, webinars, and events, details can be found on the website. we got lots of them coming up, lots of barbell stuff and, and webinars and exciting stuff. This podcast can also be found on our website along with YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. I'm joined by Jared Maynard, who is the Clinical Athlete Continuing Education Director and Coordinator and a physiotherapist at King Physiotherapy and Foot Clinic in Ontario, Canada. He is a certified strength and conditioning specialist and runs an online powerlifting coaching company and is a competitive powerlifter himself. What's up, Jared? Not much, man. Words are hard, so don't feel bad. They are. There's a lot of them. And you have to say say them the right way and stuff. Yeah. And we got John Flagg, who is an athletic trainer and wellness director at Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy in White Plains, Maryland. He is the powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach at 301 Strong, also in White Plains, Maryland, and the owner of Rebuild Stronger, an online coaching platform for strength athletes. He is also a clinical athlete provider and the lead instructor of our newest course, the Clinical Athlete Powerlifting Certification. How you doing, John? Doing well. It's the first time I've heard you trip over the intro. Well, there's a first for everything. It's all the butterflies in California right now. Yeah, I'm nervous. Yeah, there you go. That was a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. For the, for the listeners who don't know, we're, we have a, a wildflower boom right now and a boom in butterfly population. Oh, Lives in par- yeah. paradise. That's right. And we're also joined by a very special guest for the second time now. Weightlifter, powerlifter, former collegiate golfer, aspiring chess master, Creighton physical therapy student, and clinical athlete forum student member, Nate Wong. Nate, what's up, man? Nothing much. How you guys doing? Doing good. Great. It's good to have you on again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to be on. I'm surprised you guys asked me to come back on again, even after my blunders the first time. Well, you, you screwed it up so bad, we figured we'd give you another chance. To redeem yourself. Oh. athlete, place of second that's chances, right. huh? That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Redemption. Uh, no, well, Nate came to us with a really awesome topic, actually, and he was, it, it, it's the topic of how we can stay up to date with literature. And we, we get questions from colleagues and students all the time. There's so much information out there. There's so much, there's so many research articles being published every day. How do you find the time? How do you stay up to date and not be overwhelmed? And uh, Nate said that they were learning about that in in school currently, and we thought that would be a fantastic topic. And we said, get them on the show, because I think it would be really cool to hear that from a student's perspective as well. So, Nate, now that that's kind of fresh in your mind, have you experienced that overwhelmed feeling in regards to trying to stay up to date on literature while you're simultaneously learning how to read scientific literature or like maybe just getting more practice with it. Cause I think you had some experience with that prior. So have you had those feelings? And then number two, what have you learned in school thus far to try to help you stay up to date? What techniques are you using? Practical advice, things like that. Sure. Um, so, uh, I think the, the first question, like, yeah, it's, it's obviously really overwhelming because we, you know, we have a curriculum, we're learning a lot of the basic sciences and not only that, um, some of our classes require us to go out and find literature on certain topics. So that kind of, and they kind of assign us topics, so they'll assign us some readings and that kind of takes away from like me being able to ask my own questions and, and, and read my, read what I want to read, so to speak. So it, it's challenging, but you know, I, I, I find it, like pockets and pockets during the week and, and, and just times of that I'm free and, and I'll, I'll go find my own things. And, and, and I think what I'm getting better at, um, uh, through, through school is kind of being able to go through a paper quickly. And, and I swear I'm not an abstract scientist or, or anything like that, but, uh, 
but I, you know, when I'm trying to like just go through information really quickly, I'll, I'll learn, I'll just like read the abstract and have some questions of, you know, methods, participants, maybe how it applies. And then, and I'll just try to answer those questions by just quickly looking through the paper. Um, so that's kind of one, one thing I've learned in school. Um, another thing I learned is like, uh, how to use Boolean operators. I'm still not great at it, but you know, I can just go on like EBSCOhost or, or, uh, CINAHL and I'll just type in like, and like something and something or something or something. And it's like different results. Cool. And those, you capitalize those, right? All caps or don't even have to do that. I don't know if I'm doing it wrong, but I, I don't do all caps. <laughs> I think that's how I, they, no, yeah. Yeah, I think that's all you have to do. They always taught us all caps. I don't think it matters. But I, you actually bring up a really good point. So I we make jokes about being abstract hunters and all these things, but the abstract is there for a reason. It gives you an idea if the article is relevant to your question, to your search question. You make a good point. You know, in the article itself, if you didn't read the intro, the intro of the article is really just like the narrative, setting the tone. Right. You don't the or getting like background. I like to read the introduction because they a lot of times will reference articles, kind of helping to right. give background to the idea and the question at hand. And I like to go back and kind of get an up to date point. So I like to read the introduction. But if you didn't, if you didn't, you I don't think you would lose anything from the paper necessarily. You read the objective, obviously, the purpose of the paper, and then the methods, like you said, see what they actually did. And then the results are really the meat and potatoes of the paper. The discussion is helpful because it kind of puts things into context. And again, they'll cite other literature that compares to the results of their paper, but the discussion is probably not required to know what happened in the paper. And then the conclusion is just kind of their opinions and interpretation of the paper itself. So in a bind, objective methods results, boom. Most people don't do that, though I shouldn't say that, but a lot of people will actually do the opposite. And it'll be either just the abstract or it'll be like the intro and then straight to the discussion and conclusion. And they just kind of assume that the discussion meets the the results that correlates and not necessarily so. I like that in a, in a pinch, you read what's relevant. You find the relevant articles via abstract, you read what's relevant in the paper, and then you can always come back to it and read it in more depth later on. So that's really cool. Right. And I, my question is, so like when I read a paper, not all of it sticks. I don't know if that's a surprise to your listeners or anything, but like sometimes I'll like say something like, I'll read something and I'm like, oh, like I can like pull it out of nowhere and, and it's awesome. And other times I'll, I'll read, I'm like, man, I... I don't even know what I just read. And, and I guess my question for you guys is like, how do you guys make, you know, things stick, you know, when you guys read papers, does it stick more when you have like a case that you're like, or a patient, you're like, ah, oh, I can't figure anything out. And you read a paper about it. Does that make it stand out and stuff like that? I would say papers stick with me more if that's my current interest. Um, one of the things that I've figured out how to do that works for me and it might not work for everybody is I pick a particular interest. I, I do that kind of cursory search in the beginning. Um, you can skim abstracts or, or however you feel like you can quickly measure the quality of a paper. Then I create a folder and I just dump everything from that subject into that folder. I read that quick scan. And then later on, I read them all the way back through. But most of the time, I'm consuming so much that's within the same vein that that's how I get things to stick. Because a lot of these papers stack on top of each other. I think one of the things I've learned the most over the last few years is it's the compendium of research, not one particular article that really makes the difference. So if you see one article and another one that has the same theme or the same subject, and you start to pick out really common things, that's when it starts to stick, at least for me. Yep, so it's, yeah. it's five papers in, it's six papers in, as opposed to reading the one. Um, because then you start to see some of that commonality and start to understand, okay, well, this seems to be a recurring theme, and then it sticks. Um, right now, 
on the forum, Mike Amato started a predictive processing kind of starter pack. Uh, and that's one that I've been on quite a bit lately. And that's some pretty heavy stuff. And if I, if he didn't put 10 articles in there and I just read one, then I'd have been just like you were explaining, my head would be spinning. I would, I wouldn't really know where to go from there. Um, but if that's the case, and this is one of those things, you look at the references at the end and you just start plucking the references and searching those articles. So for me, it's not just reading it multiple times. It's reading a lot of the same subject. Okay. So are you talking for like randomized control trials or are you like, I mean, because systematic reviews can pick up like a theme of like what's been going on in the last, you know, whenever they date it. Yeah, you can do that. Um, you, you can start with an SR or like a, a meta analysis, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And then, then look through the ones they kept and read those through. Because one of the things that I think a lot of people hinge decisions on when it comes to like a meta or an SR is that they kind of assume the quality of all the selected studies is high. And sometimes that's not the case. So sometimes you have to go back and read those and say, okay, well, you know, the methodology here wasn't great. And the methodology here, methodology here wasn't too great, but it, it at least gives you the starting point to create a bigger picture and get some of that information to stick. I gotcha. I think it's worth saying too that you know what what you're what you're just talking about there, John, is repeated exposures to this to these particular commonalities or these particular themes. So you can reps. Yeah, you're getting your reps in, right? And <clears throat> for the listeners, the three of our six who are kind of quivering now, thinking they have to read like ten articles to to get the gist of things. I don't know. That's necessarily the case. I mean, if you want to get a a pretty good grasp on things, then yeah, you you should you kind of have to but um i know that when i read anything it, it doesn't always stick certainly interest plays a, a role if i'm interested in the topic or you know something about this particular paper i'm probably paying more attention to it and it, i probably retain more of it after but i probably have to go through it again um maybe not right then and there but maybe the next day or some at some point a little bit removed but not terribly far from it just to be exposed to it again because maybe as I've been chewing on it, I think of some some questions or gaps in my knowledge, and I go back looking for those answers. So I guess my point is, uh, for anybody who's who's intimidated, like that's that's cool. We're we're all there. Uh, we've all been there at least, um, and it's not a bad thing if it doesn't stick. I think you just have to get those reps in. And Nate, to your question, to your direct question was. Does it ever happen to you guys that you read an article and you're like, what the hell did I just read? Yeah, all the time. Like every time. Yeah. Uh, but I think I go and I completely agree with everything that everybody said. And I'll, I'll probably just confirm and repeat. But I, John, the having an understanding of the body of literature on the subject, I think is huge because you don't have to, even a systematic review like you said, is limited to the quality of the studies that goes in there, but it's also limited to the inclusion criteria of the systematic review. So I just did a post on the Nordic hamstring curl on the forum, and I, I read three systematic reviews on the Nordic, and all three had different individual studies within them because the inclusion criteria of each SR was different. So you're, so with that, as I was going through each systematic review, though, I was getting a broader understanding of the topic. And so then when I would go through an S the SR and I would see the same article, sometimes some of the articles included overlapped, I already had an idea in my mind about what that article was already about. So I didn't there wasn't any more background checking that I had to do. It, it gets easier as you become more familiar with the, the broader evidence on a particular topic it gets easier for you to start running down three because you recognize old references and you recognize mm -hmm. things a little bit more. So it's just, you have a more right. of a context. Anything that's, that's new always takes forever. And when you have no context of a, of a topic in, in regards to its current body of evidence, and you also have no context or very little knowledge of like statistics, every word of a research article is different and new. And like you're, it takes you three hours to read an article because literally you're looking up the definition of a word to look up the definition of another word. But yeah. it, it comes back to reps. And again, understanding 
the, the breadth of, of a particular topic, it gets easier and you just have more of an understanding. You still have, you will always have two periods of time where you're like, well, what the hell is that? And you have to look it up, especially the statistics. I, I find people have a really hard time with that piece because they have, they're not, uh, familiar with it, but they also don't care to learn it. And I get it. It's boring. Um, but if, if you can just, like if you can just understand what an effect size is or in a systematic review, when you see the forest plot, they, where they put all of the articles yeah. together and you have those bars that are confidence intervals, like yeah. sometimes those things are just hieroglyphics to some people. But if you, if you just take 30 minutes or so and read up on what that stuff means, just like Wikipedia forest plot, Wikipedia effect size. It's not, the, you know what I mean? You'll, you'll get so much more out of the article and you won't feel so overwhelmed because you'll be speaking the same language to some extent. Um, it's like, I'm, I'm sort of kind of learning Spanish. And if I try to read a Spanish kid's book right now, it's going to take me three days to get through 10 pages. But if it was <laughs> written in English, I'd get through it a lot faster. So the more familiar you can get with some of these foreign topics, the, 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 better and the the you know what i'm saying right yeah um it's just repeating everything that you guys said yeah. you just gotta you just gotta keep plugging away yeah i mean I, I find myself like in in a lot of like the neuroscience stuff i'm like googling every other word and i'm like what does that have to do with anything you know because we haven't really gotten there in our curriculum yet and and i think that's why like it's good that you know it that's why school is like really necessary is because you have to have like a good background knowledge, a good base to kind of build off of if you're going to keep reading these papers and, and continue your education. What's good about it is no one article is going to make or break a topic anyway. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel like you're wasting it because you were re you're getting your brain reps in, but you're not retaining a ton of the articles that you're reading. Don't think that that's a waste of time because it's not. Those articles are going to come back to you. If they're relevant to the topic, they're going to come back in some form again. You'll see them again. And then next uh -huh. time you come back to them, they'll just, they'll be put in front of your face because it's a, if it's an important article in the topic, it'll, you'll, it'll cross your path again sometime in the future. Yeah. And then you'll read it again. You'll be like, Oh, I'm getting so much out of it now more so than mm -hmm. I was. It's like watching a movie for the second time. You pick up on new stuff. So you just, even if you don't understand anything, you just keep, just keep trying. Uh, and it, it, it does get easier. Well, and this is going to be a shameless plug, but one thing that I've also noticed is that it, my motivations for reading it also tend to impact how much I actually retain with the forum and the journal club and interacting with more professionals who are like-minded, who do consume a lot of literature. I feel like when I read a paper, I have to be a little bit more on my game because I know who I'm associating with with when it comes to this sort of thing. So, you know, before, before I was a part of that or before I was reaching out into that, I would read, but I would read because I thought I kind of like I had to now I'm reading so that I can even at least try to stay in up in conversation. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. my motivations change as well. And that I think impacts my, my retention. So it's what the, the forums meant so much, at least in my personal development. Nate, have you implemented anything like um, practically to try to get more uh, of the literature in front of your face, auto, you know, automated in an automated fashion? Did they teach you that in any school, like RSS feeds, PubMed searches, these uh, types of things? Uh, well, so this... Uh, PowerPoint, the PowerPoint that I sent you guys, that was like a, it was like an in-service kind of thing. So it was optional if you, if you wanted to go to it or not. And I was like, oh, shoot, I want to stay up to date when I'm, you know, when, when I'm a practitioner. So, so I attended and that, that's when we started talking about it. And, and it's kind of, I have never, I haven't done any like the RSS feeds or uh, I think there's like a QXMD that, 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 that does that. But I do subscribe to like a couple of newsletters and a couple um, like journals or they'll send us stuff like JAMA and, and the physical therapy journal. Um, but you know, what, what I've been doing before this uh, kind of in service was, I you know, I follow all the, my favorite 
scientists on Twitter and and we can kind of get into the discussion of social media and, and that kind of stuff later. But that's kind of what I've been doing. And and I, even just doing that, I do feel overwhelmed. And uh, I don't know, you guys, I mean, are really busy too. You know, everyone wants to like talk to you guys or sign up for you guys' classes and you guys are full-time, you know, clinicians. How do you, I mean, how do you guys fit that in your schedules? I block time off purposely for it. Um, oh. but I also feel overwhelmed quite a bit of the time. So this is not, this is, <laughs> this is not just feelings of that you're f- having Nate. I promise you, I can't speak for John or, or Jared or anybody else, but I feel overwhelmed as well. Um, with, with the just surplus of information that's out there. But having said that, I feel much less overwhelmed if even I'm always going to be behind, we're always going to be behind the latest paper. Right. You're never going to be on top of all of the evidence. All right. I'm caught up now on the 12 systematic reviews that just came out a minute ago. <laughs> literally, I think there's 12 a minute. But what if, if you block out a little bit of time throughout the week, like that's scheduled, it's scheduled time. And it doesn't. Yeah. If it's a topic that you're working on or if we're clinicians and it's a topic that we need to find, that's great. But you feel less overwhelmed if you're chipping away at things um, and like the form, community helps too because it, I have people who who help keep me up to date with the stuff that's coming out so that's not just me. And I have people who have read things that I haven't read that can give synopses and, and we can have these conversations. So um, we definitely feel overwhelmed. But the I think it, it helps to use these tools. You mentioned QXMD. Mm-hmm. I use that. And it's a little different than subscribing to a journal who sends you the email of their like new, new edition of the journal, like the monthly edition gives you all of the articles right. in the journal, which I also do that for quite a few, uh, JOSPT, Journal of Strength Conditioning and British Journal of Sports Med. You can do it for pretty much any journal. You can get their email newsletter, which is good. I would recommend doing that. But QXMD and also PubMed, they allow you customized searches. So I can say, I want you to send me an email every time an article comes out with ACL in the title or workload or whatever you want, injury, rehab, pain, any of that stuff. So you can, you can start to get specific with the topics and the papers that are sent to you, which really, really helps. And I love, you mentioned following the authors on Twitter. I love that. I think Twitter's really good about that because it's short. You can't be a whole bunch of, you can't give a whole bunch of, nonsense yeah. you know that's kind of lends itself to that so you can follow your favorite author, your favorite authors on on twitter and they're usually just right to the point here's an idea mm-hmm. here's a new paper boom 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 you can also follow the journals the british journal of sports right. med is on twitter uh you know all the the apta is on twitter so yeah. those are great those are great resources i also follow the authors on researchgate and google scholar so let's, it's whoever it is, who, your favorite author, you know, you go ahead and name him. Now, Mike Raymond, we had him on the podcast. Yeah. I follow, oh, yeah. you, you can Google Mike Raymond's name on Google Scholar. It'll take him, it'll take you to the citations page of Mike and you can press follow and you'll get an email for every paper that he publishes. You can do the same oh. thing. Yeah, it's really cool. You can do the same thing on ResearchGate and you can filter their publications by year. So it's real nice. Um, I've been doing that a lot more by, by author because generally an author that you follow is also putting out research that you're interested in. Right. Um, do you guys have any other tips, tricks, suggestions on that stuff? No, you, you touched on the ones that I would have mentioned myself. Um, Quinn's approach is more structured than mine. I don't have time blocked off for, for reading at the moment, just with, with a few things up in the air, but that's something that I definitely want to move towards. Um, and by virtue of just being involved with clinical athlete and somehow making it a thing where I appear on this podcast and say words, um, I also feel like I need to be on my game just as a necessity now. So that's forcing me to, to do more reading, um, you know, in the last year than it has been, or than I have prior to that. And 
also speaking to what Quinn said about having a community to help keep you up to date. Um, this is where I really find the forum also helpful. I know John touched on that before. And we can, as you said, Nate, we can talk about social media in a minute. But I find that having having a group of people who I know are, are really smart um, to sort of disseminate little pieces of information or put up um excerpts from from given papers or to start a thread on a given topic like quinn you were going through that uh tendinopathy thread in the forum with uh john hodges and jason ewer and going through that it it sort of i was able to flag a few papers that i wanted to go back and then read myself it was kind of a you know not a cole's notes but just these were things that mattered to these people who I know to be quite intelligent and whom I respect. So I'm going to go check that out and then maybe check the reference list from there and then highlight a couple more papers and then fit that in. So that's kind of how, how I'm doing things these days. Uh, the tendinopathy thing on the forum is a real brain melter. If anybody wants to check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's it, a really good one. Uh, I want to touch a little bit on, people being able to give you a brief synopsis. Uh, we have a lot of people in our circle that it, through Instagram stories or Twitter pictures or whatever you want to use will highlight research. And one of the things I think a lot of, especially young clinicians do is they're afraid to shoot a message over to that person and ask them a question. Um, hey, well, like what, what is your interpretation of this? What does this mean? So that they can get you started in at least, assist in that um there's some obviously the first person that comes to mind is it for me is mike amato um but there's a, a bunch out there that would love to to help and help people along um so don't be afraid to ask those questions when it comes to structured time for reading i'm a fat power lifter and i read during my rest sets because <laughs> my rest intervals are long <laughs> uh especially now that I've been reined in with my rest rest intervals a little bit by the guy coaching me. So that is where I kind of uh, get a lot of my structured reading in or listening. And then I don't just consume scientific literature, but we've been forced into reading a, a little bit of books and, and other things and consuming that level of media that is a little outside of my comfort zone. So I, I use my commute to and from work and use audible.com quite a bit to consume that sort of uh, literature. So you're not always going to be able to find time. Sometimes you got to be creative and squeeze it in. Um, I wish I could be like Benjamin Franklin and Quinn and block out time, but it doesn't always happen. So sometimes you have to be creative. Have you guys heard of the book uh, called Deep Work? I've not. Yep. Yeah. So my professor uh, was telling me about that book and that's like next up on my reading list. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's just about like how to block off time. I don't know. Quinn, you read it or have you read it's it? Good. Yeah. 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 I listened to it on Audible. I don't know if I'm allowed oh. to say I read it if I listened to it on Audible, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's, does. it's a good one. Um, it's a good book. Yeah, that would be good. It's a good on the, it's good on the topic of how important it is to it to dive into a topic and only that topic even if it's just and then you might think like deep work oh it's like you're you're caving yourself up for eight hours and some or something or an entire weekend and when you have a family which you know i don't have any kids and, and jared and john you're corralling all these little critters and so like time is what we, it's much different you know and so i'm like oh yeah i block off time to read research i also don't have uh, children to tend to. So it's, a, it's a little different, but in the book, it was, it was all about no matter how much time you have or how little time you have, generally somebody can find a pocket of time regardless of how long it is. And then it's how important it is to just be in that, in the moment of that thing and like plan all your distractions away for that time. And you dig into that to whatever it is that you're digging into. And ultimately that's the preface of the or premise of the book. I, I would definitely read it. It's a good read. Um, the distracted mind is another one uh, along the same lines. It's the same, same deal of how, especially in today's day and age, how we're so literally distracted. We don't dive into anything very deeply. 
And it's not really about the time that you spend on it. It's the quality of the time. Um, so for sure, those are, those are good books. Um, social media is an interesting topic, huh? Yeah. yeah. Talking about distractors, social media, right. good transition. <laughs> Well, and it's like, I'll feel like a hypocrite because obviously clinical athlete, you know, social media is a big part of what we do. Um, but I, I think um, relying on social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, Twitter, as a means of education is a real slippery slope. Yeah. Especially, especially in the beginning when you're trying to create a contextual environment for a topic or just for a field in general. As a student, you know, I think it's good to follow these people that you respect and want to learn from, but then you dig into the actual resources deeper than, than simply reading the posts and then taking that as is. Because even research papers are limited in the amount of scope. You know, imagine, so then imagine an Instagram post. Um, what do you guys think about social media pros and cons of learning <laughs> keeping up with the literature uh, you know we're gonna be here all day <laughs> do you want to take first stab at it nate uh sure uh so i i love social media it's like a there's a lot of content on social media and i and I, th I think it's great and and you know i don't think anything is inherently bad um but yeah there's just not a lot of filters on social media um but at the same time, you know, like, man, I don't know. It's great for like discussion. It's great for community. Um, I think with like the clinical athlete community's presence on social media, it kind of it, it helps with accountability. You know, if if we kind of skipped over something, I and I, I feel like we're not afraid to call each other out or or ask questions or or have a little discussion on social media. Um, so I, I think it's great. It's there's. One thing that stood out to me in, in the presentation uh, was the fact that uh, there's a lot of like echo chambers in social media, and it's easy to kind of get in your little silo and 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 uh, and not really like look at what else is out there. You know, if someone disagrees, you're just like ah, they're nonsense. I don't, even, I'm not even going to pay attention to them. You know, and we just kind of get you know in our little like area. And we're like, oh yeah, like what he said or what she said. You know, and um, so yeah, I think it's it's great, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a slippery slope, like Quinn said. Mm -hmm. I find the temptation, oh, sorry, before I get to the temptation of social media, I find it really useful because even though I'm working on the habit, I still find myself mindlessly scrolling every now and then more frequently than that implies. Um, and you know, if I'm going through my stories or, uh, going through the different posts because of the people some of the people that I that I follow and associate with now, uh, who are regularly throwing up these these excerpts or these abstracts, um, it, it just it ends up in front of my face. And then if I find it really interesting, uh, I might make a mental note or take a screenshot and come back to it later. Um, the temptation has been to leave it at that or to to leave it at the the little snippet from the story, you know, or the the five stories that they strung together and think that I have a good understanding of it. Because Quinn, like you said, there's a humongous drop off of context um, just as it's communicated through that particular medium. So now I have to make it a point to to make sure that I read it firsthand. I think it's it's kind of nice to to whet the appetite or as a little sort of preview. Um, or maybe to just even point me in a different direction that I didn't know I wanted to head. But then I have to follow through and and read this stuff myself. Uh, I I have a really hard time not saying bad things about social media. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the the toughest thing for me about social media is what it has turned into, at least in my opinion, from being around for the inception of Facebook, like the very beginning is now it is a marketing platform, number one. And that comes with benefits and it comes with drawbacks. And one of the drawbacks is that you have a lot of uh, appeal to authority fallacy going on, depending on how popular an individual is. 
-hmm. It creates small feeding grounds of uh, supporters that create a pretty, pretty stout echo chamber that cannot be challenged. Um, And those biases continue to grow and develop and entrench people in a thought process that may or may not be healthy, regardless of of the topic that we're talking about. Um, Also, the speed of it makes things very difficult to actually vet out. So there's been plenty of things that we've seen, not just on social media, but in in our own news networks about nutrition and exercise, um, any any topic you want to think about where they take a study and they extrapolate some wild conclusion because a singular study said something. And now all of a sudden we have a whole nother vein of misinformation, which makes things very, very difficult to contend with when it comes to how do we manage social media in a positive manner and get people to follow suit? Um, Because there is a lot of pressure there. There can be a lot of reward through social media. Um, I think plenty of people have illustrated that at this point, that if, if you put up inflammatory posts or things that are eye catching, uh, for us, we always talk about the big red check mark and the big, mm-hmm. the big red X and the big green check mark, you know, and throwing them in the trash. But, you know, those are eye catchers, especially on things like Instagram, which tends to be a, a big business driver for people. Um, with that said, you can put out some really good quality information if you can find a way to get context across to people in a digestible manner. It's it's just very the quality control is lacking, mm-hmm. and that's where I struggle with social media. I don't stop there. You you could tie that into the Dunning Kruger effect really really easily there because yeah. you know you throw out some piece of information, be it accurate or misinformation, and then suddenly millions of people know about it and think that they know it all. Um, and that can be difficult to uh, to refute, as we talked about in a forthcoming episode about correcting misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also to speak to your point, John, about how how fast-paced it is. Uh, Quinn, you've spoken about this a bunch of times, um, how you might try to engage somebody in a conversation and, uh, or, or debate, and you throw up three references or two references, and then two minutes. Uh, Jericho? I don't know. He's searching uh, for that. Being the reason why Jared. traffic in oh, yeah. we lost. Backtrack for a second. Hold on. Oh, say you might have thrown up three references, and then two minutes later, boom. Gotcha. Okay. Two minutes later, what? What happens two minutes later? Tune <laughs> in next week. Cliffhanger. Then <laughs> <laughs> two minutes later, they're coming back and saying, "Yeah, but you know, what about this, this, and this?" And they can't have read what you've what you've asked them to read. Pew, pew. And you've made this point as yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've made this point about that being the reason why traffic in the forum is a lot slower, just because people are going to take the time to comb through what you put up there and thoughtfully craft. A response, um, and I think that's that's important. Yeah. Well, I think, go, go ahead, Nate. Well, I was just going to say that that's what kind of separates like social media from the forum is that there's trolls on social media, and you know, and like on Twitter, you'll see like a discussion, or even on Instagram, and like the comments, you'll see a discussion. And you're like, oh, this is kind of cool, and then like some guy will like insert some you know inflammatory comment. And you're like, it had nothing to do with with anything, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was really funny. It made me think of this post that Greg Lehman posted about, you know, being a move optimist and, you know, there's no you know good or bad movement without context. And this guy's all like, oh, so I should just flop around like a butterfly. And he's like, yes, there's no other way to interpret what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, on Instagram, you can't even, first of all, you can't even link anything. Yeah. So it's really just going to be a, a contest, as they say, uh, measuring yeah. contest or, <laughs> but, and in Facebook, on Facebook, you can link obviously, but I mean, who I, I've, I know a select few who will be in a, a Facebook conversation and say, thank you for providing me these links. I'm going to come back in a day or two and I'm going to, I'm going to read these papers, come back in a day or two and, co- and come back. Like I've seen that happen, but it's very rare. 
It's more common of exactly what Jared said. Somebody links a paper and then the other person comes right back with their rebuttal. Oh, yeah, but this, this, and this. Did you read the paper? No, I looked at the abstract or maybe they probably didn't even click the link. So I don't think social media lends itself to discussion in which the parties actually want to learn. And I think what it does is it lends itself to who, to people worrying about how smart they look to the other people involved. And in a private, a more private platform like a forum, you filter out the people who actually want to learn. Because when you post a response in the forum, not a whole lot of people see it. And you're posting that response to actually have a discussion, to actually get something out of it, as opposed to posting a response on Facebook so that the whole world can see how good of a rebuttal you came up with or how fast, you know, how, how, how fat, how quickly you were able to put the other person down, something like that. That's the evolution that I've seen. I learned a ton from forums. When I was a young strength and conditioning coach, like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, there were I, like, five different forums that I was a part of and I was in those things every single day and I owe so much to that type of platform and that was to me social media back then and it's just very much it's very much evolved so it's easier if you already have a context to a field or a topic and then you I think your filter your natural filter is a little bit better but it's hard when you're newer to the field or or topic and you're trying to, and then you're, you don't know. Have you, have you guys ever followed somebody or thought somebody was an authority on a subject and then talked to other people and they were like, yeah, that guy's an idiot. Or yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And you're like, what? That was like my hero. Yeah. Or like, the, I thought that was the person for this thing, you know? And then Cheap you, fighters right now. yeah. And then yeah. you're kind of like, oh God. And then you, I've, that's happened to me so many times. Um, yeah. I think it's a good thing, but on social media, I think it's like, it's just magnified. Um, there's, there's so many little wars going on. I can't keep track of the beefs that are happening here and there. And it, 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 it gets more overwhelming to me keep keeping up with social media than keeping up with, with research. Right. I mean, I would, I would, I would definitely sorry. agree with that. Yeah. Um, I was just going to, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. Nate. Go ahead. I was just going to ask if you guys have ever seen someone like change their mind or say like, oh, you know, you're right. That kind of stuff on social media. Okay. So I, ha I have. It's rare. It's rare. Really? Yeah. It's rare. Mm -hmm. But, and the, this again, harkens back to the, the misconceptions podcast, but did any of you guys check out the Joe Rogan experience with Gary Taubes? And Stefan, uh, DNA. DNA. Yeah, DNA. yeah, DNA. So obviously, Gary is, is big on some alternative nutrition uh, theory. And Stefan came in with a ton, I mean, an army of research behind him. The problem was, is if you go through the comment section, Stefan came across as a real jerk. And it lost a ton of people, even people who were on the fence. And that's where I find a lot of dangers with social media. Uh, you might not change the mind of the individual that you're discussing the thing with, right? So the, your opposition. But you have to be cognizant of all the people watching, of all the people who are on the fence who might not really have made a decision yet. And nine times out of ten, they're going to go for the person who came across as as not being a jerk. Um, and that's actually really hard to do on social media because a lot of it is just based off the, the biases of the individual reading, whatever it may be, and all that. I've rarely seen people change their mind in regards to the, the opposition who is entrenched. But I've seen followers of that individual change their mind because it, a case was respectfully presented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, to answer your question, Nate. I, I've also seen it, also rarely. Uh, there's one instance that comes to mind, and I won't name names, but um, I was privy to some direct messages that went back and forth between um, a friend of mine and someone who was fairly prominent. <clears throat> the friend had had critiqued one of these these stories or these posts that had come up in their own 
story. And the prominent person had messaged them back in a fairly confrontational way. And uh, so my friend had asked if, if I wanted to, to weigh in on her response. And, uh, and so we did. And of course, this is just observation and I can't draw any sort of causal link uh, between the two events. But in subsequent posts from the prominent person, um, the information seems to be significantly more, more accurate or things that I can get behind more. Whereas prior to that, um, there was some good stuff, but there were some other things that I just couldn't, it couldn't make me double tap that post. Um, just, I wouldn't feel okay about it. So it's, it's gotten better. And, and I'd like to think that that exchange, even though it didn't really end fantastically in the direct messages may have had uh, a lasting impact on that prominent person. But again, I'm speculating. I think it takes repeated bouts. If you're, if somebody's going to change their mind about something, it's, it doesn't happen with one discussion or one post. Oh, you're right. And now my three years of preconceived beliefs are changed now. Thank you. Um, and I, and John, to your point, I think not only, not only sounding like an asshole can, can put people off, but just firing off, like dumping a bunch of PubMed links into a post in a way, in, in a way, exactly. <laughs> in a, in, it's exactly right. In a way where, you know, the person you're, you're, you've dumped so many URLs there. You don't want them to read. You just want them to concede. And yeah. I think that's just as bad. Um, cause you can mm -hmm. have, a, like you said, you can have a valid argument. That's not how to, to win people over. But, and it's also, are you going into a discussion to win? If, mm -hmm. if, if that's your motivation, then that's, that's, that may not be the best motivation to have if, if we're all trying to kind of push the same thing, which is let's all learn from each other. I, at this point, really shy. I, I try not to scroll because I get caught up in stuff and it's just like, it's so hard not to do. Um, but if I ask for a reference, it, it, at this point in time, they send me, if, if they send me a reference, I say thank you. And I probably don't return to the conversation because I wasn't asking for a reference to, to, to have a debate. I was asking for a reference to try to learn something new. Maybe they're right. They're, you know, I, I already come in with my biases and these types of things. So nine times out of 10, I, I see their reference and in my mind, I'm like, that's junk, but <laughs> I'm not going to come back. I'm not, that doesn't support your, that doesn't support your claim. Uh, the, the data is, is horrible, et cetera. But I usually don't jump back into the conversation because the likelihood of that singular person changing their mind based on that one thing is, is nil anyway. And it's just brain injury, that, energy that I could be using on something else. I do brain think injury. injury. It's a brain injury too. It's minor, That's but brain. it accumulates. You're a concussion specialist, right, Jared? Help yeah. me every time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. Uh, uh, and so, but I do think people change their mind over time. And obviously we've all evolved. I don't, we're not talking about that necessarily, but a real shift in, in a thought process. I've seen it happen in the clinical athlete forum. Now over the past three years, I've seen people, individuals who came in with a completely different lens, change their views over time. And it was, I've talked to these people and it's painful. Like it's not an easy thing. And I, it's happened to me. I went into PT school wanting to be a, a different type of clinician than the one that I want to be now. Um, but I think it just takes, it takes time. And I also think just like we can't help everybody, all our patients, like we can't save everybody. We also can't change everybody's minds and they, you know, we shouldn't want to either. Um, cause we're all probably, we're probably both wrong. Both sides are always wrong. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just I, lost two more listeners. Yeah, <clears throat> it's it's we can all we can all save our energy and our and our emotion emotional energy for other things that are more important and just um, try to learn as much as we can. One thing I was going to say about studies, I am pretty big on the data and being able to interpret the actual results. I think that's important to have a context of what's what's truly happening in the study, especially when the conclusions of the authors don't necessarily match up with the data. But even if you know nothing about statistics or data and you don't want to, you can always just ask a simple question, which is, how else could we explain these results? Because that's what a research article 
really is about. It's, it's, it's trying to create a, a more realistic representation of what the real world is supposed to be like to some extent. And there's always confounding factors and you can never control for every variable. So the results of the study are the results, but perhaps there's other factors that could have played a part. And that's one way that you can appraise research without knowing anything about statistics or, or anything like that. Um, it's just, it's just how else could these results be explained? And those could lead to more research questions. Oh, maybe this confounding factor had something to do with the results. I wonder if there's any literature on that. And then you can kind of start to open up your knowledge of the, of the topic that way as well. I don't have a segue into anything else. I'll just stop talking. <laughs> no, in, in one of my classes, we, like my, my professor, uh, his name is Terry Grindstaff, but uh, he oh, was yeah. like talking about uh, like natural history. He gets in front of the class and he's all like, so you have a patient who comes in with low back pain and he gets better in three weeks. Like why? And then everyone's saying like, oh, treatment and that kind of stuff. And, and obviously like, it's like, we looked at like the, there was like this table in, in the slides and it was talking about like clinical outcomes and it's talking about natural history, placebo, Hawthorne effect, and then like the actual treatment. And, and yeah, and I, and I think that's just like a good way to like look at like literature is like how else, like what else could be contributing to this that maybe the authors are, are missing or, you know, and they, the authors might even talk about it in the discussion. Like, oh, we didn't look at psychosocial factors or we didn't look at, you know, rate of force development or, you know, X, Y, and Z. So yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And that's not even a fault. Like you said, it's not a fault of the authors necessarily. Uh, research articles are limited to the population and the outcomes that they're looking at. So that's just something to, that's just a piece of, of science in general is, is one study is one piece of the pie. So how else can you explain the results is just another way of saying, what does the rest of the body of literature say that compare to the results of this study? So when you guys like search for like literature how do you guys go about doing that so do we have what's the what's the context am i looking for do i have an idea in mind do i have a question am i looking for a specific something for my patient in particular or is it just a topic that i'm interested in or both yeah i was i was gonna say patient first and then and then like a topic you're interested in or like if you're reading a paper and you have more questions and you're going to look to the literature to answer those questions, like how are you going to do that? For me personally, I usually look for the most recent systematic review on the subject, not because the systematic review itself is the highest quality, but because it is hopefully the most current appraisal or it's going to give me all the most, all the uh, articles up to this point within that systematic review. So the data in the systematic review is one thing, but at least I'll have a lot of the articles on the topic in front of my face right there. Like the systematic review almost does the searching for me, if that makes sense. Now, there may be more than one. You could have three systematic reviews on the exact same topic that come out in the same year because they all have different inclusion criteria, slightly different methodology that they're looking at. Maybe one's a meta-analysis where the inclusion criteria of another didn't allow for meta-analysis, something like that. So they could be different. But um, it's it, nothing fancy. I usually go into PubMed or Google Scholar and uh, or ResearchGate, and I just start typing keywords just like that. And I look for the systematic review first. Um, and then if I don't find anything, I filter by year first. And I so I'll scroll down and just look for older articles. If that's not the case, if I don't find any SRs, then it's just any any article on the topic. Um, mm -hmm. If I find nothing on the topic on any of those, which is rare, because like the question must be real obscure, then I'll mm -hmm. then that's where my friends come in, or the forum. Um, yeah. What do you guys got? I do more or less the same thing. Usually it's PubMed or Google Scholar and just type in keywords and go from there. I hadn't thought of, of targeting the systematic review first as a general rule, though, so I think I might start doing that. Yeah, I do pretty much the same thing. If I can find a systematic review and then 
kind of dive into the reference list and that's a good thing. Um, and I, I do, one of my first places to go to is the research request area in the CA forum or just search it there because <laughs> typically there's either some sort of discussion that can give me uh, a little base knowledge or a ton of articles already sitting in there. Right. And I think the, a cool thing about PubMed is like, if you see a paper, um, so if I'm like looking at a subject, um, like I'm, I recently, I was looking at like, I'm doing like a, a project on rate of force development and I'm looking at like peak strain on an ACL. So like I'll find a paper and it's like, what, what, so on PubMed and, and what on the sides on PubMed would be like this similar articles. And yeah. then that's something I can look into or like this paper, if it was an older paper. So there's one I was looking at in 2007 that looked at like, uh, the, the time when someone like tears the ACL when, when they contact the floor and it was like in 2007 and I'm like, I kind of want some, something newer or more. Um, so I'll, I'll look at, uh, like what paper cited this article and, that's something I do. Or I'll read the intro. I'm like, oh, what else? You know, what do what do what do these authors know that I don't? Maybe the uh, the similar articles too in PubMed is a great resource. I'm glad you said that. That's an awesome one. You can just start plugging. Uh, I'll we'll answer keep answering the question based on like no time constraints. You're working on a project or you're working on a question. Everything is perfect. You got all the time in the world, and you just want to mm -hmm. get the most articles on the subject. That's a great way to do it. The systematic review is another great way because they're all kind of lumped there together. But also just the references in general. So I'll tell you what I do. A lot of people still print out their articles because I like reading on paper. Sometimes I'll do that. But to save paper, some you know, a lot of times I'll read it on my computer. But I'll open up two copies of the article in PDF on my desktop. One, of, one copy on the left I'm actually reading through. The other copy is just on the reference list at the end of the article. And so as I go through and I have a like I have a piece of paper and a, and a pen right by me, too. So as I'm reading through the article and they say something in the introduction of and we know and past research has shown this and they have like two through four references. So that's three articles right there on the topic that I would maybe help me give me a better, broader understanding of things. I'll go right other to my to the other copy. And I'll make note, I'll look at the title of those references and see if they are something that I would want to look into. And I'll just make a quick note on the piece of paper. I won't, I won't go cross-reference yet because then I'll never end up reading the actual article. But as I'm going through, when I finally finish the article, I have these notes of these clustered references on specific kind of subtopics that I can now kind of go dive into. Now, this shit blows up real quick because you end up with... <laughs> references on references on references and every time you right. go and pull some other paper that gives you five more references to read so like that's a personal problem and you got to put the brakes <laughs> on at some point and i have a real issue like at the end of a project or at the end of the day working on something it's it's possible that i have like 50 tabs open just three lists of references <laughs> and i've and i've read two papers you know what i mean so the press so <laughs> yeah. you've got to like try to actually make make up ground but that's one way yeah. to do it is is uh the the references of the paper that you're reading can really 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 help even though they're older and i know you made a note of there you know seeing an older article you're like well maybe i want something newer that's true but it, it doesn't discount older research yeah. because it doesn't expire yeah I yeah exactly right totally mm -hmm. and i and i don't think a lot of people read primary literature and those are usually even older you know articles from mm -hmm. the 70s 80s and 90s that are kind of yeah. the first ones um I, I and i'm kind of a historian on this stuff i like to know how an idea originated and it gives me a right. just a better context of learning about where we are now that's just me though and you know i i was going to say this earlier but I, I do want to make a plug for the clinical athlete forum because in the journal club because um i sorry i have the slides pulled up next to me but it, you know we we're talking about echo chambers and stuff like that and i I really did like uh, was it Kevin McNamara? I can't. I I don't know how to say his last name. Sorry if I mispronounced it. But he he brought the idea of hey, when we do our journal club next, we should try to do something that maybe doesn't fit our bias. Um, so I I think yeah, like it couldn't be an echo chamber, but I think realizing that 
like Kevin did, you know, we're trying to shift the discussion into something that maybe challenges us, you know? So I think if you're not on the clinical athlete forum, you should probably join. And if you're a student, I, I don't know, I had a student message me and she's all like, yeah, what's it like for a student? And I'm like, I think it's great. I'm like more of like a fly on the wall. I'm listening on the discussions, but um, I think there's, it's a great uh, resource and totally worth it. I think a lot of it started off as flies on the wall. Um, yeah. And then just as you get more, as you read more and you see more and you, you start to get more comfortable. I think that's part of the personal growth that that sort of thing allows. Um, because then you, you do decide to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and say something and then get hit with like three more articles about what you said is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You grow real quick that way. No, nah, it's, it's, it's actually a really positive experience and I've never had a bad experience on there. So, um, and especially with the journal club, uh, being able to help, I don't know, develop that, have, have fruitful discussions, um, really kind of dive into, to picking some of this research apart and, and understanding a little bit better has been really good for me. And it, it's made me, I don't know, as a, as an older clinician feel like, you know, no positive impact can be made because it, it's really difficult, especially when you're in school to keep up with it. And when you're out of school, it's even worse. So it allows, it's a great platform to, to learn a lot from. So. Yeah, and the the echo chamber is a good point because we don't all have to agree on stuff. I think that's a misconception too. We always say that clinical athlete is a community of of like minded clinicians and students, but like minded doesn't mean we all agree on every point. That's a, there's a difference there. Yeah, and there's also a difference between what I believe and what I think is more correct versus that should be what everybody thinks because I think right. and then hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully there's a distinction there because um, I think that we can all be evidence informed and not all have the same approach or do the exact same things, which is kind of counterintuitive, you know, but our interpretation of science is just that. Yeah. And I think if we all agreed on something, there would be no discussion, you know, and I think that's a huge learning opportunity and, and a, a good way to grow as a clinician and, and just as a thinker is to have discussions. And so, yeah, I, that would be terrible if everyone agreed on everything, you know? Well, we wouldn't need anything. We would be good. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need any of this stuff. Yeah. We'd have it all figured yeah. out. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have a clinical athlete podcast and <laughs> yeah. The only thing I can really agree with anybody on anymore is that there's a whole lot I don't know. Yeah. At this point, I'm just comfortable with uh, what, asking the patient what they what they want to do for fun, and if it's something that I can help with, then I'll try to help. <laughs> or, or, or what helps? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I was gonna say something more important, like oh, you have goals of like actually helping to live your life better, but fun's fun. Fun is helping to live your life better if you're not enjoying it. There you go. Cool. I think it was a good topic. Nate, thanks for thanks for coming on and thanks for the idea. Yeah, thanks for answering some of my questions. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping everyone else who listens to it learns from it. No, I think it's going to be really, really helpful. And, and these are not just student thoughts and, and student problems. We're all students. You know, it's just, a, it's just a title. If you're out of school, you're no longer a quote unquote student. But we have the same overwhelming feelings and we feel like we're behind and the more we learn, the more we don't know, all those things are completely normal. I'm not sure they go away. I think maybe you just get more comfortable with the uncertainty. <laughs> and even within that, there are periods of time where you're more, where you're less comfortable. It's just like that. It's just like training. The overall trend is, is in the right direction, but within there is some peaks and valleys where you're like, yeah, existential crisis here like what do i do like oh you have tendinopathy does it does the tendon respond to load or does it can we even change it i don't know it's like i don't know what to do <laughs> it's every other week and now. then you're just like just have them do some squats or something what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> put them on the k-box yeah there you go 
Go to failure. You don't feel a thing. <laughs> cool. Well, Nate, where can people uh, connect with you? Uh, yeah. So talking about uh, social media again, uh, I'm really <laughs> active on on Instagram and on Twitter. My handle on Instagram is that one D O O D seven. It's that one dude seven. Uh, I got to change that. I'm going to change that. <laughs> it's bad when, when every time you, you say it, you're embarrassed. Uh, you, no, you smiled I, last time too. So any, you got to, at this point you have to change it. You don't have to change yeah. it if you're proud of it. If you say it with some, yeah. say it with your chest, but <laughs> if you have to smirk and like you're, you know, a little wishy-washy, you should probably fix it. Yeah, I know. It's, you know what? Just, if you're going to find me on Instagram, just look up Nate Wong PT and you'll probably see something <laughs> pop up. Um, and on Twitter, my handle is all I see is golf. So there you go. Um, that's where I'm uh, most active on. What's your handicap? My handicap? Uh, I'm, I'm about scratch, but we just had a, oh. a really long winter. So uh, I don't know. So you, lost, uh, you forgot everything? Yeah. Forget everyone it. tells me that lifting is terrible for golf. You know, I'm getting muscle and it's going to mess with my swing and that drives me crazy. You got to just make sure your glutes fire. You don't want to be like tiger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to, I got to go do some core stuff. Before go. I go hit the weights. Cool. Well, thanks for, thanks for being on, man. Hey, we my appreciate pleasure. it. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. John, yeah, Jared. It's a good topic. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Yeah, no problem. We'll talk Peace. soon. See you on the internet. See you. Guys. Yeah, see you on social media. <laughs>